At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. We are going to be launching a new series. I want to invite you to take out your Bibles And if you would turn with me to the very first book of the Bible and the very first chapter of that book, which is the book of Genesis. And uh, we are going to be starting a four-part series that I have entitled Tough Times. And the subtitle is Finding Perspective in the Face of Suffering. We could have subtitled it Probing the Mysteries of Suffering. You know, you don't have to live for very long. You don't have to be very old for you to realize that tough times and suffering are a regular part of life on planet Earth. And we've seen tough times in our culture recently. We've obviously seen the pandemic for many months. We've seen political unrest. We've seen the loss of loved ones, some of us have, who have died. We've seen tough times just in where we're living geographically. You know, a few months ago, we had a severe ice storm, one of the worst I've ever seen in my years here. And then we just have gotten through a 50 to 75, maybe 100-year snowstorm, which knocked out electricity for a lot of people with a record cold. I know my son Kyle and his family and his four little boys down near Tyler, Texas, were out of power for multiple days So these tough times are all around us, and they come in different forms. Sometimes the tough time is the diagnosis of cancer that we receive, or maybe some other serious disease or autoimmune disease. Sometimes it can be the loss of a job. Sometimes it can be acts of racism and acts of rioting that we get to experience in our culture. Sometimes it's a wayward child Sometimes it's ongoing chronic physical pain that we suffer from. So how do we process all of this? What does God have to say about this? Where is God in all of this? What does the scriptures say? And knowing that I had a four-part series coming up, I had been praying about and asking God, what do you want me to speak to, Lord? And I have just been sensing It's time for a closer look at this whole idea of tough times and suffering. And as we do this series, we're not going to be looking at one passage. We're going to be looking at a wider view of what Scripture has to say. And when we have tough times, they can be physical tough times. They can be financial tough times. They can be relational tough times. But all of the tough times that we experience are spiritual tough times. Why do we say that? Well, when we are face-to-face with tough times and suffering, it affects our heart. It touches our soul. It penetrates soul deep. And so as I've done this sermon graphic, uh, we have a crinkled heart here. And you'll notice that there's just wrinkling everywhere. And hopefully the graphic communicates what we wanted to communicate, and that is there's a lot that needs to be ironed out before life is going to be smooth. And Satan loves to attack our heart, especially when we're face-to-face with tough times. 
Now, during this series, we're going to be going in and out of multiple passages, so you're going to have to hold on to your spiritual hat because we're going to cover a lot of ground. But here's what was interesting. As I was working on this series, I, I, I realized, you know, God's Word has so much to say on this subject matter. My biggest concern in preparation would be how I would adequately cover it in four messages. I'm going to try to do the best that I can in that regard. Now, I want to give you a quick preview of where we are going when we're talking about tough times and finding perspective in the face of tough times and suffering. And what we're going to be doing is looking at seven pivotal points of perspective that we need to have as we face tough times. So we're going, this is where we're headed, looking at seven pivotal points of perspective as we face tough times. And I want to just give you a preview of what we're going to be covering. First of all, we're going to see that we need to always remember that we live in a broken world. Secondly, we're going to see that we must expectantly look ahead to God's promise of full deliverance. When we're face-to-face with tough times and we're dealing with suffering, we need to, number three, regularly revel in his consistent character and great love. And then, fourthly, we must constantly rest in God's sovereignty. Number five, we must reflectively review his revealed answers to why. Number six, we must deeply embrace the promise of his presence. And then number seven, we need to daily draw upon his grace. So does that sound like a worthy journey to look through those things uh, from the word of God? I think it is. Now, the the very first point that we want to make in these seven pivotal points of perspective as we face tough times, at a glance, it appears to us to be too basic. At a glance, we think, really, we have to talk about that? And yet, this first pivot point of perspective is a vital foundational truth for when we come face-to-face with tough times and suffering. What is that first pivot point of perspective? That is, we need to always remember we live in a broken world. Now, the Bible clearly teaches that. And we see it in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. We're going back to the book of Genesis, which really means the book of beginnings. It's the headwater of all of history. And I want you to notice how everything begins We see it in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 31. We're going to see that God created a world that was a perfect place. It was a paradise. I want to read verses 26 to 31 of chapter 1. You can follow along. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. Subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Verse 29, then God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it shall be food for you. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the sky and to every 
thing that moves on the earth which has life. I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw all that he made, and behold, it was very good. That little phrase, very good, means excellently good. It means abundantly good. It was a virtual paradise that he created. Everything is yours. But when we come to chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, we find out there was one restriction. All the trees and all the fruit you may eat of all of it. But when we come to chapter 2, verse 16, he says to the man who was the one most responsible, he says, from any tree of the garden you may freely eat, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, one place you shall not eat that fruit, for the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. And what happens in the drama? Adam and Eve eat from the one tree they were not to eat from. And then you come to chapter 3, and everything starts to unravel. Everything starts to unravel there. To the woman, God says, because of what's happened, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain, you will bring forth children. Yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. And then he goes on to talk to Adam, who was the primary responsible party. And he says to Adam, because of what you have done, cursed is the ground because of you. Before it was blessed, now it is cursed. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles will grow for you. And then he goes on to say, by the sweat of your face now you will eat bread till you return to the ground because from it you were taken. For you are dust and to dust you shall return. Everything starts to unravel in chapter 3. And before chapter 4 even ends, we have more disobedience. We have jealousy that erupts. We have resentment and anger that shows up on the scene. We have polygamy. We have sibling murder. And we have looming violence on the planet. The choices that Adam and Eve made a deep impact on the human race and on the whole world environment as death and decay and sin were introduced. That's what the Old Testament says. And we see the same message coming through in the New Testament. We see it in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, where he says, just as sin entered the world through one man, Adam was primarily responsible, and death through sin, And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. There was now a broken world when there had been paradise. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 20, Paul says, the creation was subjected to what? To futility, to brokenness that came into the world. And then in Romans chapter 8 verse 22, he says, we know that the whole creation, interesting word choice, groans. We live in a groaning, broken world that only 
bears a dim resemblance to the original design that God had in mind. In Romans chapter 8, verse 22, says, We ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, in other words, as human followers of Jesus, we ourselves groan inwardly. May I ask you a question? Have you been groaning lately? And when you're thinking, yeah, think about what caused that groaning in your life. See, because we live in a broken world, life is now stuck in struggling mode. And the idea, ultimately, in all of this that he is trying to communicate is that we long to be released from the sin and the suffering and the tough times of this world. Paul David Tripp does a great job of emphasizing how this is a broken world. He says this, he says, we live in a broken world where people die, where food decays, wars rage, governments are corrupt, where people take what isn't theirs and inflict violence on one another where spouses act hatefully toward each other and children are abused instead of protected. Place where people slowly die of starvation or die suddenly from disease, where sexual and gender confusion lives, where drugs addict and destroy, where gossip destroys reputations, where lust and greed control hearts, where bitterness grows like a cancer, and the list, he says, could go on and on. Men and women, the evidence is everywhere that we live in a broken world. We see it in humanity. We see it with disease and decay and death. We see it in the fact that our bodies really grow old, and I'm beginning to notice that more and more. We can have in our bodies pain, pain when we walk, pain when we sit, sometimes pain when we lie down. The evidence is everywhere. We see it in history. We see the inhumanity towards other people. We see racism. We see slavery. We see wars. We see ethnic cleansing. It's everywhere the evidence is. We see it in the environment with the blight of pollution. We see it in entertainment where the number one practice of humor is insult humor. I absolutely hate that stuff. You know, that's what humor has become where you're insulting other people in the most clever way. We see it in entertainment. We see it in the gratuitous violence that exists. We see it in pornography, the incredible distortion of the beauty of God's design for sex. It's everywhere. We see it economically with debt and overspending and people who are embezzling. We see it in government where leaders care more about themselves and the people they are called to lead. We see it in political corruption. It's everywhere. We see it in the family, an environment that was designed to nurture people. But we see abuse and we see divorce and we see hurt and we see conflict and we see marriages growing distant. It's everywhere. We see it in the church. I mean, the church is filled with people just like me and like you, people with flaws and weaknesses and personal struggles. We see it in the church where we see conflict, not over eternal issues, 
but frequently over non-eternal, important, secondary issues. It's everywhere. We see it in events. We see it in floods. We see it in hurricanes. We see it in tornadoes. We see it in avalanches. We see it, yes, in pandemics. This brokenness surrounds us every day in multiple ways. You know, a number of years ago, Baskin-Robbins used to always celebrate that they had 31 flavors of ice cream. Anybody remember that? Right? The 31 flavors? I don't know what your favorite flavor was of Baskin-Robbins ice cream. But they like to talk about, we have 31 flavors. Do you know that brokenness comes in more than 31 flavors? Sometimes brokenness means we will be disappointed in our life. Sometimes brokenness means we will be misunderstood in our life. Sometimes brokenness means we will be mistreated in our life. Sometimes brokenness means we might have a debilitating autoimmune illness. Sometimes brokenness comes in the flavor of the breakup of an important relationship that we have. Sometimes it means rejection by our peers. Sometimes the brokenness has the flavor of the C word, you know, cancer which I've heard given to me two times and nearly a third one in my life. Sometimes the flavor of brokenness is adultery. Sometimes it's significant financial loss. Sometimes it's betrayal. Sometimes it's a prodigal child. Sometimes it's the death of a beloved one in our life. Brokenness surrounds us every day in multiple ways. And this, men and women, has been true for generations and generations and generations. And many people who've experienced tough times have experienced tough times far greater than ours. I want to take you to Hebrews chapter 11, where um, it talks about some of those men and women in faith and some of the tough times and the suffering that they went through. So as you think about some of yours recently, see how it compares to theirs. Some were tortured. Others experienced mockings and scourgings. Yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. How about this next one? They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. He said, Some of their tough times and their suffering is they went about in sheepskins and in goatskins, meaning they didn't have any other kind of clothes. They grabbed the only thing that they could to wear, being destitute and afflicted, being ill-treated. And then he says they were wandering in deserts and mountains. Why are they wandering? Because they don't have a place to live. They were wandering in deserts and mountains and caves. And yes, even holes in the ground. How many people have said, that's where I live, in a hole in the ground somewhere? See, This has been going on for generations, and many people have tough times and suffering that are far more significant than what I have experienced. You know, what's really interesting to me is that Scripture is a supernatural book, and it clearly teaches us we need to remember we live in a broken world. It is not only a supernatural book, it is a realistic book. The Bible openly recognizes that we live in a broken world. When you open up the Bible, what do you see? You see things like sibling murders 
plural. A brother killing a brother. You open up the scriptures and you see disease and you see famine. You see political corruption. You see religious corruption. You open up the Bible and yes, you see rape. You see manipulation. You see child sacrifice. It's a realistic book. We see adultery. We see infanticide. We're a whole generation of young people for political reasons. We're going to be wiped off the face of the planet. That's what Herod did at the time of the birth of Jesus. It's a realistic book. We see corrupt, distorted justice that was given to not just anybody, but to the incarnate Son of God. And then the most violent execution ever devised was perpetrated on a totally innocent man, the person of the Lord Jesus. It's everywhere. And the Bible isn't shy about it. It shows us that we live in a broken world. Now you might say, okay, Bruce, wow, thanks for blessing us on a Sunday morning. So good we could spend so much time talking about Why are we talking about this so much? Well, I think part of the problem is that we too often succumb to something that some people call location amnesia. What do we mean by that? It means too often we lose sight of the fact that we live in a broken world. We live, men and women, in a fallen place populated by a fallen race, and I don't mean black or white, I mean human race. And sometimes we have this location amnesia where we, we, we just forget that we live in a fallen place populated by a fallen race. And I think even for dedicated followers of Jesus, there are times in our life when we're sort of operating under an illusion where because I know Jesus and I seek to follow Jesus, somehow I'm going to be given an immunity card from him that says, no tough times allowed for this child of mine. See, sometimes we, we have location amnesia. We forget we live in a fallen place populated by a fallen race. Now, obviously... We don't experience all brokenness every day and in every way. And thank God for that. And some of these tough times and suffering we may never experience, like some of those experienced in Hebrews 11. But indeed, the reality is we live in a fallen place populated by a fallen race, and we must always remember we live in a broken place world. Now, tough times do not mean that we have been forsaken. Rather, it is an indicator that we live in a world that does not function the way God originally designed it to function. We must always remember we live in a broken world. That's the first pivotal point of perspective we need to have as we face tough times. There's a second one I want to look at this morning, and and this applies to those of us who are followers of Jesus. You know, those of us who look to the Lord Jesus as our rescuer from sin and judgment, 
This second perspective involves those who would say, hey, look, I am unable, I am incapable of dealing with my personal sins. Those of us who say, I can never earn my way out of the debt of death that I have earned. Those who would say, hey, I can't do it, but Jesus did it. My sins are fully paid for at the cross. For those who have that position, there's a second key perspective, and that is we must, as we go through tough times and suffering, expectantly look ahead to God's promise of full deliverance. In other words, when we're in tough times and when we are suffering, when we're having adversity, we need to remember there is a new world coming. There is a promise, there is a guarantee of a better future ahead. When you go to the book of the Revelation in chapter 21 and verse 5, the Alpha and Omega is sitting on his throne there, and he says this. He says, I am making all things new. You know, if you're going to summarize the Scripture story, it sort of starts out with this perfect paradise beginning. And then there's this rebellion, and this, the world becomes broken, and the people become broken. So you have this perfect paradise beginning, but we live in what is often this dark and painful middle. But then for followers of Jesus, there is going to be a glorious paradise at the end. And that is important that we remember that. I want to go back to Romans chapter 8, where remember it says we live in a groaning world, and we ourselves groan. And there's great encouragement there in some statement of facts that you can see in Romans chapter 8. For example, in chapter 8, verse 15, Paul says, I consider the tough times, the sufferings of this present time, are not worthy to be compared with what? The glory that is to be revealed to us. There's something coming because of the promise of God in the future. We need to be looking forward. In verse 21, he says, we're looking to be set free from the corruption that we're experiencing now, the brokenness of the world, into the freedom of what? The glory of the children of God. There's something coming in the future. We need to keep our eyes on that. In verse 23, he talks about how we are waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons. What is, what is he talking about there? He's talking about we look eagerly to the redemption of our body. We are going to have not a perishing body, but an eternal body. You can go to 1 Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 if you want to just see more of the details of what our future body is going to be like. Romans chapter 8, verse 31, he says, If God is for us, who can be against us? In other words, we have an amazing future guaranteed. We need to be looking forward to that. I want to go back to Hebrews chapter 11 in the hall of fame of faith. And those people who are in the hall of fame of faith, in their tough times, their focus was looking ahead. Look at uh, verse 10. It says, by faith Abraham, and he had all kinds of tough times and ups and downs. It says, by faith Abraham was doing what? What was he doing? He was looking forward 
to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. He was looking forward to the promise of what was ahead. In verse 16, talking about those in the hall of fame of faith, it says, what were they doing? They were desiring a better country, that is, a heavenly one. They were looking forward. And then in verses 24 to 26, we see about Moses. It says, by faith, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. Why? For he was looking to the reward looking forward. His focus was forward to the promise of full deliverance. You know, earlier we were reading about some of these people and talking about their tough times and their experiences, you know, in verses 38 or 35 to 38, about how they had torture that they went through, how they were stoned, how they were sawn in two. How were they handling all of that? Well, we notice it says, In verse 35, their focus was so that they might obtain a better resurrection. They were looking at what was coming. And then in in verse 40, it says, they believe that God has provided what? Something better. Not today, but eventually. Now, this principle is vitally important. It's a vitally important perspective when we have to face tough times. It's important that we expectantly look ahead to God's promise of full deliverance. Hey, men and women, we know this somewhat in our heads again, but not so much emotionally. This world is incapable even with its riches and even with its passing pleasures, it is incapable of being the paradise that our souls long for. And the saints throughout the centuries have found perspective in tough times and sufferings in the long view of eternity. I want you to see another quote by Paul David Tripp. I just love him. He just has a great way with words. Here's what he says. Think about this. He says, there will be a day when you are invited to the one funeral you will actually want to attend. I've been to a lot of funerals. I've officiated a lot of funerals. They weren't ones I wanted to attend. But he says, there's going to be a day when you are going to be invited to the one funeral you will really want to attend. This funeral won't bring grief to your heart or tears to your eyes. This funeral will make you sing and celebrate. He says, this funeral will make you wonder how you could have been chosen to be the recipient of such blessing. He says, there will be a day when you will attend the funeral of sin. Sin will die and you will live forever permanently freed from the tyranny of sin. And I might add, permanently freed from the brokenness of the world. It's something we need to be looking forward to. Now, waiting, right, is hard. 
<laughs> Waiting is a hard thing. It's hard. You know, and some of these weather things that were happening in the region, you know, there was a couple of traffic accidents where the traffic was backed up for nine miles. Can you imagine what it was like waiting in that traffic? It's hard to wait. It's hard to wait in long checkout lines. It's, it's hard to wait for a pandemic and all the restrictions to pass. It's hard to wait for the results of the biopsy to come back. It's hard to wait for a prodigal to come to their senses. But it can be worth the wait in light of eternity. I want you to see what Paul has to say in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 to 18. He says, Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, and the older and older you get, you realize that, Yet he says, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. He's really saying God is at work even in the tough times, even in the suffering he is working. And then he says this, for momentary light affliction, momentary light affliction. I want to remind you when Paul is talking about some of the suffering and the tough times that he went through, just what that was like. You can see it in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I just want you to pull a few things out from verse 23 and 24. Here's part of what Paul went through. He says, I was in multiple imprisonments. I was beaten times without number. What a thing, you know. I was beaten up more than I could tell you. He says, I was often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. That's one lash short of being beaten to death. That happened to him five times. He says, three times I was shipwrecked and so forth and so forth and so forth. But he says regarding those things, ah, there were momentary light affliction. Really? He says, momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison with what is coming. And he goes on to say in verse 18, we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are unseen, For the things which are seen, that is, experienced in this broken world, are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. What's his point? He's saying, what looms large to us now, what seems and feels to be unbearable now, thousands of years into eternity, what truly felt overwhelming, what truly felt dark and difficult, what truly felt unbearable will be a brief flash. Through the lens of eternity, it will be small and minuscule. So as we face tough times and as we process suffering, we need some pivot points of perspective. The first one is we need to always remember we live in a broken world. And secondly, for those of us who know Christ, we need to expectantly look ahead to God's promise of full deliverance for us. Now, there's still questions we haven't even addressed. Does God really care about what I'm going through now in this broken world? Has God just left us to fend for ourselves in this broken world? Well, there are answers to those questions, but you need to come back. 
when we have a four-part series. We're going to look at five more pivotal points of perspective. But I want to leave us with two concluding thoughts today. Having looked at the point of perspective, always remembering we live in a broken world, and then expectantly looking ahead to God's promise. First concluding thought is this. Biblical waiting is not passive. The fact that we are looking forward to something doesn't mean that we're just going to passively sit here and let the waves just smash us, and we're just going to you know, endure it somehow, figure out some way. No, biblical waiting is not passive. It involves at least three things on our behalf. First of all, it involves actively remembering. Biblical waiting means we're actively remembering who God is and what God has done and what God is doing. And that's part of what we're going to be covering in future weeks. Biblical waiting also involves actively accessing, accessing God's spiritual wisdom from the Word of God. It means that we're actively accessing the divine resources that he's provided for us, and we're going to look at some of those in this series. Biblical waiting involves actively remembering, it involves actively accessing, and it involves actively serving Jesus. Yes, even when we're facing tough times. You know, a great verse for this is 1 Corinthians 15, 58. He says, Beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable. Occasionally, sometimes, every once in a while, no, he says, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Even when we're going through tough times, we're to be actively serving Jesus. Now, there's a second concluding thought I want to have as we close this morning, and that is that the promise of a future full deliverance is only given to those who turn to Jesus as their rescuer. Jesus is the solution. He is the solution to a groaning, broken world. Jesus is. The solution to a groaning, broken people is the person of the Lord Jesus. You know, we read in in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, that through one man, sin entered into the world, and death through sin, so death spread to all men. But we also learn in that same passage, it says that through one man, through one man, the solution to a broken world came. Romans 5, 6, while we were still helpless, what does that mean? There was nothing we could do about our brokenness. While we were still helpless, Christ died for the ungodly. That is me and that is you in God's eyes. And then in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, one of my favorite verses, it says, God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, what did Jesus do? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. On the cross, he took the full penalty for our rebellion, our sinfulness, our brokenness. And I just want you to know that Wildwood and Bruce Hess, we want everyone to receive the promise of a future full 
deliverance. We want everyone to receive eternal life. I don't know where everyone's coming from spiritually, but we desire that for you. And no matter who you are, I want you to know that this has been earned for you. It is offered to you as a gift, but a gift isn't really effective until it is received, and that's what we do by faith. You don't have to be in a special building. You don't have to run around and do something special. This is a transaction that becomes before the living God in your heart where you say, you know what? I can't fix my brokenness. But Jesus did, and that's what I want to count on, and that's what I want to believe. You've never done that? Do that. Do that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for the word of God. We thank you how practical it is how penetrating it is. We thank you for these principles that we need to remember about being in a broken world and then the promise to those who know Jesus of this ultimate full deliverance. Help us to learn how to walk through this broken world for your honor and for your glory. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 